0: Listening to Inclusive AF with Jackie Clayton and Katie Van Horn.
1: Okie dokie, welcome to, to the, the Inclusive, inclusive AF, podcast. AF podcast in stereo. We're available. Um, we are so excited. This is Katie Van Horn, by the way, and this is Jackie Clayton, and we are very excited because we get to speak to Tara today, and we are going to talk about the data, the data, and more about the data. So uh, Tara Robinson, welcome. We would love to start off by just asking you to share a little bit about your identity.
2: Sure. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Um, I'll just say I'm, I'm right now I'm at my kitchen table in Vancouver, Canada, Woo-woo. just north of Seattle, which is on the unseated traditional territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and tsleil people. Uh, I'm here on stolen land. Um, who am I? Okay, so I'm a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant. Um, I worked in-house at Mozilla for three years. Before that, I was a librarian for 12 years, and I ran an accessibility organization for five of those. Um, before that, I was a student and a sex worker, and This work for me is really personal because I grew up, um, I'm mixed race. My mother's Japanese Canadian and my father is white of Scottish and Irish descent and I'm queer. So I growing up in a small Northern logging town in Canada, I didn't fit in and I knew what it was like to not belong. And I've had those experiences throughout my life and I kind of want, I want to work with people to help change the systems and change the environment so that
1: more people feel like they belong.
2: Awesome. Your
1: pronouns?
0: Pronouns. My my pronouns are she and her.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us. Jackie, what were you going to say? Sorry.
0: No, I love Tara. And it was really funny because um, being that, you know, we write, we train, we're always online and doing all these things. And there's a lot of information. And I felt this overall connection to Tara and <laughs> I was like hi I don't know you but I feel like I do like I really felt you know how you feel like you know somebody online like we're really best friends and then one day I woke up and was like "You has no idea who I am I troll her so hard <laughs> like I was following all of her posts on LinkedIn and everything that she said just resonated with me so it's like a, an honor and a privilege to have you here and um and I know that you have so many interesting insights and I'm glad that we can share it with our audience. So thanks again for being here.
2: Well, I'm glad we connected. Like I think this has been one of the silver linings for the pandemic for me. Like we're all working at home from our kitchen table or um, temporary office and we can connect with people anywhere. And it's been like, I remember the first time we had a conversation. I was like, gosh, like I feel like I've
1: known you for a really long time. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, So we're going to just dive right in. I hope you're ready. Let's um, go. <laughs> okay. Later. So I know that one of the projects that you worked on, um, and so I, we just realized before we started recording that we have known each other in prior lives. So I know one of the projects that you worked on is um, a project for your former company, Mozilla, and working on gender transition. So would love for you to share a little bit about kind of how that project came about um, and the resources that folks can still access today. Yeah. So
2: when I was at Mozilla, one of the first projects that I led was getting some resources to support people who are transitioning their gender in the workplace. There was a coworker who was transitioning and I was just thinking like, what can I do to support her? Um, When I was 19, my partner at the time transitioned and is now a gay man who lives in Osaka, Japan. So I've been like, in community with trans people for a long time. Um, And as the diversity and inclusion person, I was like, what can I do at a systems level to make things better? So having an open source background, one of the the skills I have is documentation. So I was like, let me just start by documenting all the different places that they're going to need to perhaps update their name or their gender marker. And there's so many different systems at work. So we've got our HRIS system, which is sort of like, The source of all truth for people data. But then our IT systems existed, there was like a bug tracking system, system for the badges to physically access different offices. We traveled a lot, so there was a travel system which also had your passport information. Like there was, there were a lot of systems. So one of the things I thought that would help was just documenting all the different places so that that individual wouldn't have to do that research. And in talking to different departments, like the IT service desk was awesome. and they were super honest. They're like, we want to give trans people at work really good service. And we're not sure how. like mm-hmm. and actually, you know, if, if we're gonna be really honest, like, we're not even like I know I don't really know what it means to be transgender. So I was like, huh, okay. So there's like a knowledge gap that people had. I think everyone I talked to wanted, like were respectful, they weren't arguing if trans people existed or not, but they were operating from a place of ignorance and wanting to know more and do better. So that's kind of where we started and checked in with this individual and their HR business partner as they were transitioning at work. How's it going? Like, great, you're using your new name and pronouns. What what are things like on your team? And then I realized that their manager needed support similar to the it service desk manager this person's manager like really cared about this individual as a worker and as a valued member of their team and just didn't want to fuck it up Mm -hmm. so i was like instead of like i was like what what questions do you not know the answer to and that was kind of a hard way to approach it but we we talked a couple of times and i was like oh there's like some basic things you don't know the difference between sex and gender okay like so kind of hearing all these different pieces, um, I then pulled in Trans Focus, which is a trans consulting group here in Vancouver, where the two principals at the time, one was trans and one was non-binary. So pulled in some external subject matter experts who also had lived experience, and we developed a training for staff. And I think more than, more than 70 or 75% of people took this voluntary <laughs> HR training on how to be inclusive of trans and non-binary folks mm-hmm. which was great and since I left Mozilla actually one of my former coworkers reached out and said hey my kid has come out to me as non-binary and I the stuff I learned in, the, in that workshop helped me really be able to hold space for my kid and advocate for them and like I the she's like you know I I'm I'm mourning the loss of having a daughter and like, this is my kid and I'm going to support them. So I never thought about like kind of the knock-on effect that this would be having on parents Mm -hmm. or aunts and uncles or people about the other members in their family, but it's been kind of cool to hear about that impact as well.
1: That's awesome. And uh, just so everyone knows, if you are interested in seeing those guidelines, they are still um, online. Um, you can find them on, I think on Mozilla's, yeah, on Mozilla's career page, you can find them. Or if you look up Tara, um, Tara, you can find it through her information as well. So um, thank you for doing that. Cause I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think for some folks, it's just, I don't know the answers. It's not a right, wrong. It's, it's a, I just don't know the answers and, and having those resources is so critical to, to make sure folks can be inclusive. And I love the fact that, you focused on managers as well i i think we all probably have those horror stories of managers that had best intentions with you know this type of situation and just didn't know better and and so maybe didn't act the, the way that we would have hoped um but you know that it is what it is so after you left mozilla you started your own thing so tell us one more yeah. thing
2: first oh, oh yeah yes,
1: yeah yes, of yes. course.
2: I'm sorry. Um, And Mozilla is an open source company. So we were able to share sort of a a bit of a de-anonymized version. Like you don't need to know what the Mozilla LDAP login stuff is, but we shared a list of all the different things that people could consider when they're transitioning and all the different departments that you would need to do things so that if you're thinking about like, how do we support trans and non-binary folks in our company it's at least a starting place on the different places you might look or want to kind of connect with your internal stakeholders to make sure that the environment is really inclusive.
0: Awesome. And I, I have something to say before we, we move on, because so many times I had made, I work at a startup, we're really small, and I bring things up in it in proactively in diversity and inclusion. So as you're listening to this, Don't think that there isn't somebody who is going through this experience at work. Don't make the assumption that someone hasn't gone through this experience at work. It's important as we move forward in being allies and giving the education. I think it's probably because of the work that I do and the work that you do. People are desperate for connection and desperately want to do the right thing. And so these types of programs, especially if it's open source and you have access to them, bring it to the people at work, share it with them, go through the process um, because it's important to get familiar with the unfamiliar so that you can keep moving forward and we can make it a more inclusive.
2: Ooh, that reminds me of one other thing. Hello, Kat. Um, <laughs> our benefits administrator was such an important stakeholder and such a huge ally. Um, she's super open-minded and super, knowledgeable and said you know I realize that there are many kinds of genders and people have like it's not a binary thing unfortunately a lot of the insurance companies we're dealing with live in 1954 so she would um proactively or when needed advocate for individuals with the insurance companies so if um a trans woman needed a prostate exam and the insurance company is like why would a woman need a prostate exam? We're not approving that. She would just step in and and deal with that. Um, or if if an employee was like having difficulties or getting an experience that wasn't what she wanted them to have, she would step in as like a
1: really active
2: advocate for the employee. So she she was really phenomenal.
1: That's awesome. One of the things that um, came up when I was doing some of this work at my former employer, um, was also hair removal. So the other piece that you know I think is so critical and I know that you did this is you know talking to folks going through this or that have gone through this to say what else what haven't we thought of what haven't you know what what should we be thinking about from a benefits coverage from a whatever it might be to make them more comfortable and I think that's something that you know Jackie and I talk about quite a bit is just asking folks and having that conversation to say what do you need how can we make this helpful beneficial a great experience for you as an employee or as a human um and so I think that's just you know it's great that you guys built this it's just it's amazing so thank you and I Um, think when things are documented you can have an idea a
2: better idea as an employee of what you can ask for so I and also when it's documented and out there it's kind of like version one so people can be like 90 percent of this you got right but this part here on benefits like Doesn't I don't really fit or it doesn't apply to me or I can't get what I need. Can you help? Like it, I think like most inclusion things, it's not a one and done. It's like, okay, we did a first try. Like we're gonna have to
1: come back and tighten it up, make it a bit more refined, do a little better. But like, this is where we're starting. You have your own deal now. You have your own organization and would love to hear kind of what that transition was like. What made you take that giant leap, that very scary leap? um, lived it myself. So what, what inspired that?
2: It's funny when I left Mozilla, I was gonna, I was gonna just take a month off. Cause like a month will be great. And then I realized that I was actually pretty burnt out and I took many months off. Um, and I worked with a coach to get really clear about my values and my purpose. And that was really amazing work. Um, and really beneficial. Like it was nice. It was the first time I went into a job search where instead of trying to like squeeze myself into the shape of jobs coming by. I was like really clear about what I wanted to do and the impact that I wanted to make and felt very discerning about the different options coming by. Like, like interesting, but not for me. I think I looked at about 90 different um, head or director of DEI jobs and tech companies and 95% of them were HR jobs. And I think there's a lot of um, connection to HR. Like it's, DEI is about people um, but I don't think it should be in HR. Um, if we're using a diversity, equity, and inclusion lens at work, like there's, there's the workplace, there's the people, there's how, who you're hiring, who's getting developed, um, who's getting thought of as leaders in succession planning, there's all that. But there's also the products and services that we're offering to the world and how we market them, who we do user research with, how we're defining whose problems we're trying to solve. And I think that's really juicy and we're, we're seeing more companies kind of think about the DEI lens as something to look at the whole employee life cycle, but the whole business as well. So I was like, I don't know if being in HR is for me. And I was talking to a, co- a coaching company who they're, they're they do some really great work about being a consultant. And I just thought, oh, like, I could never do that. And I made some joke about, you know, working in-house for, versus, versus working outhouse. And I was like, oh, like, that's kind of a rude thing to say. <laughs> like, what's going on for me? <laughs> and I realized I was really scared. I was terrified about going out on my own. Um, my parents were employees. My grandparents were employees as well. Like, the idea that I could be a business owner or start my own thing. That was like never within the range of possibilities for me. And talking to these coaches who were also consultants are like, why not? So once I realized I was afraid of it, um, I looked at that and kind of unpacked it and was like old stuff, current reality, like some risk, but let's go for it. What was it like for you, Katie?
1: Um, All of those things. (laughs) It is the fear. I mean, I think it is, you know, I, 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 I posted a blog on day one and it was like the leap, like taking the leap. And that's exactly, it was the, how am I going to do this as a business owner? And I think, you know, even, you know, I'm at four years now and, and it's still like the, the, you know, the financials and understanding some of that stuff and taxes and just stuff that you don't think about until you are in it. And then you're like, oh yeah, I have to actually do all the things, (laughs) not just the fun stuff that I'd like to do with my clients but all the rest of it too so I think that I mean it's been such an amazing learning experience but it's also I mean it's been scary and absolutely wonderful so all of it
0: (laughs) I'm glad you did I benefit from it you know you know we might be best friends but still I gotta keep spreadsheets I gotta talk about what I'm doing she'll be like okay Jackie you have to save this for your taxes and I'm like oh I do like all of the things um, and I think there's a point where it's like I know that I as a I'm a DEI strategist, but I'm also an individual contributor. I know that it's one of those things where, where you know, you get to a point where it's like I don't want to do this for other people, and then some of it is just where you are in your journey and what you're learning and who you decide to help, what you're offering, and so it's nice when you can do that amount of expertise versus doing all of the other things that you didn't want to do, right? And you can choose that and choose some of your clients and choose the work. So, i jealous. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change Podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.
2: I think my favorite thing is like I get to learn so many different things. Like I'm working with people in different sized organizations with different business challenges who are at different parts of their journey. And like every day I learn new stuff and I know I'm a curious person, but like, I'd say like learning is really core to who I am, and I love this.
1: It, yes, and I think it's also you know what you talked about that kind of V one of the the document, and it's so true because it's also it is an everyday evolving conversation on so many of these things, and I mean especially right now in the U.S. we're having like from the last uh, leader to this leader, uh, you know, from a president perspective we're getting executive order after executive order of things that are changing and shifting and, you know, things that were put in place with the last administration that are now being, you know, ended, thank goodness. Um, But I think it's also just the, that what you can learn from every single person you interact with is the part that I love the most. So like being able to have this conversation with you, Jackie and I, of course, talk all the time. And it is that like, okay, well, what's your experience or what is your, you know, what are you seeing or what's going on in your world? And I just love that piece too. So data nerds, my two <laughs>
2: data, nerds. data geeks, this, whatever. This what I'm Jackie and
1: I geeked out about I know.
2: That.
1: <laughs> and I so, saw your
2: new course and forwarded it to some recruiters. <laughs> I know I'm like, check this out.
1: Awesome.
0: Awesome. Listen. I love it it is so important that you look at the data especially for organizations that are just getting started because they don't even have a clue of what's going on right it's like and it's always been there it's just you know you have to look at it it's like anything first let's admit that you have a problem let's define the problem right what has been your experience what is something that why do you love data so much Tara Tara not
1: Tara We'll get it right by the end well, of this no, episode. I, I am so sorry. sorry.
2: So. I know I've got the pronunciation that's the not common one in the US. No worries. <laughs> um, I think diversity, like just the, well, I've, just on the diversity piece, like who works at a company, like representation, people always jump right to hiring. Like, who are we hiring? And it's like, yes, that's part of the equation, but also who's leaving and why? Who's getting promoted? Like who's being invested in Who's on the bench behind getting ready to step up into those senior leadership roles? Like, what's the succession planning? All of that, I think, is really important. And the data doesn't lie. Like, it's part of the picture. It's not the whole story, but it gives you a good place to start. And then you have to ask, like, why? Like, what's going on here? And I think on the inclusion side, I think looking at employee engagement scores, Not the average score, like I don't care what the average thing is, but I want to know where there's differences, where people are having a different experience. Like are women and men having the same experience around harassment and safety? Maybe, maybe not. Like, But let's look and then we'll know where to focus. And I think that's the important part for the diagnosis and also tracking change over time. Like no company, no industry, no country, no one's got this figured out inequity has been around for a really long time um, and there's a a big focus on it right now so we have an opportunity to really shift things right now but if we're not measuring things like do we know they actually changed so like that that's kind of why I'm so excited about data and I think there's there's a rigor there Um, I also believe like you need to think about the data represents people and we're multifaceted intersectional beings like I'm a queer woman of color. It's not like I'm only queer on Mondays, only a woman on Tuesday and only a person of color on Wednesday. Like I'm all of those things all the time. And it's cool to see a more intersectional data analysis going on with bigger companies. Um, That's something I think that's really interesting. So looking at gender and race together, like what are Black men's experience versus Latino women? Or what are... Asian men experiencing compared to white men, like looking at the the complexity in the data, I think gives you a, an idea of what people might be experiencing.
0: I love I think it's that. So cool. I I really love. It's not, but if you're a data dork, you understand. It is really exciting when you find something that's fixable. To the clients, they feel a little edgy. I'm like, guess what? Found your diversity problem. Software developers, San Francisco, female. don't like it there and they're like and i'm like yay we found it it's not as exciting but it's so nice to be able to actually take tangible things to say this is your area of opportunity um especially because so many people have made these sweeping statements of what they're going to do for diversity and inclusion without having any idea as fast as you're getting them in the front door they're getting out of the back door um and that's why I think it's important that people in diversity and inclusion have a dotted line to human resources, to the humans, to make sure that the people that are exist today are feeling nurtured and cared about. But we have to look at, strategically, what are we going to do as we change the culture? You don't know what it, what it is. You don't know where it's stemming from. And you can be able to look in alignment of okay, these are how many people are in the funnel. These are how many people made it to the interview process. These are how many people got rejected. And here's the dude that doesn't seem to like Black men, has had 200 in front of him, hasn't hired one. There's an area of opportunity there. That's code for somebody screwed up. Got some work to do. (laughs) (laughs) So, but, you know, looking at who's left is just as important as looking at how you're going to find.
2: Jackie, can you, like, share an example of where you looked at the hiring data and saw something that other people weren't seeing?
0: Yes, so the issue was hiring manager says, I'm not getting enough diverse talent and makes the, um, what do we call it? Confirmation bias that there isn't enough diverse candidates. So, and they're getting it from recruiting. But the issue was with the sourcer the sorcer wasn't selecting any of the diverse candidates that had applied and wasn't doing a proactive search because they had so many people apply for the opportunity. The opportunity that was posted was written that was masculine coded, job opportunity. Had a huge, pl- almost all men who applied, hundreds of them, looked at all of those people and just submitted those to the hiring manager who needed to make the hiring case who thought there just didn't exist. So we had to look at the actual job description. No, you wrote this. This was a, you know, this person wrote it that way and also wasn't doing a proactive search. There are diverse candidates. They're not getting to your desk. And so that's, you have to be a talent advisor and you have to watch out because there is so much confirmation bias or there is so much assumption on the other side where the hiring manager says, we're gonna increase it by, And Seattle's the worst. Sorry, Seattle. Katie gets mad at me. I always call people out. Seattle's the worst because the population, like the black population is like one point. We have three major companies in Seattle, right? They all say they're going to increase diversity by 15 at a low, 30 at a high. There aren't any diverse people there. (laughs) So where are you getting the people? And I always say, and this is Jackie's made up math, There's like, oh, we'll relocate. I was like, then you get two years, which means you have to hire someone every single year to make sure that seat doesn't get empty because you can't take people from places where they don't live and then put them in a place. I've done that culture shock. So that's one of the examples and why there's strategy behind it and why the data helps draft that strategy because it's not just a feeling, especially if people think as... You're a woman of color. I'm a woman of color. And they think that we're just going to go in anyway and saying these things and they can just poo poo it like it's just emotional. And I'm talking from an emotional standpoint, but I'm not Here's Like, the, look at the, the numbers.
2: Point. This is what
0: happened. I didn't make this up. And I, and, you know, and, and I feel me. sad about that. I didn't apply. for a job. That. Right. Yeah. what you know, so I told Katie, I was going to create a new software program that's called I'm not saying I'm just saying. I ain't saying Mike's a racist. I'm just saying he don't have any black people on his team, and he doesn't seem to like Hispanic or Latinx people. I'm not saying he's homophobic. I'm just saying he doesn't have anybody on his team. Take that. Do whatever you want to. <laughs> Next, I'm gonna turn that
1: question on on to you now, Tara. So, give us an example of you know kind of how data has informed how you're thinking about a strategy, how data has informed, you know, how you're working with clients.
2: I think like looking, it's, it's interesting because almost all of the conversations with new clients start with, hi, we need some training. And I'm like, do you? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it it reminds me a lot of when I was a librarian and I was working at an art design university and students would come in and say, I'm looking for a book about art. And it's like, we have books on art (laughs) and it's, the way I take it is that people want to start a, a conversation and they're not quite sure what they need or but there that's a question that seems reasonable. So that's often where we start. And I, I won't like I'm I'm not specializing in training. There's lots of great um LND people out there. I'm really excited about the data and helping people develop a strategy. Um, and then they can bring, we can work together to bring in training that, that fits, that moves that along. But without looking at the data to diagnose where things are, how do you develop a strategy? Like you don't even know what problem you're trying to solve for. And then the, the training, like maybe, like we know that um, underrepresented folks get less actionable feedback from their managers. Mm-hmm. They either don't get any or they get the great job. Great job. Keep doing what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But then when it comes to promotion time, people get passed over. So it's like, hmm, like the development piece and like who's getting promoted is something that I've dug into and it's not necessarily a mentorship issue because we know that underrepresented folks are over mentored, but under sponsored. So there's, that makes me think then like we need to look at the managers and, give people of color and women um their managers to go through like a feedback training session so that managers can level up on how to give specific actionable feedback so that everyone on their team is getting like that feedback loop and a chance to grow and learn Um, as well as working with like coaching has been so powerful in my life like it's really helped me when I left my job at Mozilla, but also earlier in my career, like to make the impact that I wanted to make. So instead of mentorship programs, if we're seeing in the data that people of color aren't getting promoted at the same rate as white people, then like, why not coaching? Um, but until we not look at the data and understand what the problem is we're trying to solve for, we can't really design L and D or any, kind of any programs because we're not sure what we're trying to fix. So that wasn't the clearest, but. <laughs> no.
1: I, so I, I was just going to say, I actually agree with you wholeheartedly because I think the other piece, you know, you're talking about over mentorship. And I think we always go to, Oh, the marginalized group is the problem and they need to assimilate to the way we do things. or they need to, you know, follow along. And instead, said, it's like, no, let's talk to those leaders. Let's talk to those folks that are making decisions to say, why are you making decisions this way and help them? You know, you kind of mentioned, you know, having that feedback conversation. One of the things that I talk to with all of my clients is, do your managers know how to have a one-on-one, which seems like the most basic concept for most folks, or, you know, you would think that they, you know, be pretty basic, but going through and actually just teaching them how to have a developmental conversation, a developmental one-on-one, And it's like, oh, wow, I didn't know they were supposed to talk to, or I didn't know I was supposed to, you know, give them to your point, like direct feedback on what they need to improve. And it is just fascinating. But I also, my joke around the, you know, keep doing what you're doing, you know, you're doing a great job is okay. So am I going to get promoted then? Because that's the question I always tell people to ask. If you're told, keep doing what you're doing, clearly you're going to get promoted at any moment because you're doing such a great job, but Um, I love that. I love leading with the data and I love, you know, just kind of starting to really pull apart some of these processes and some of these things that people aren't looking at and that data that folks aren't thinking about or going, okay, how do we use this data or how does this data prove out a certain point or, or not? And, and what do we do with it? So that's, I love that.
2: And then I think there's that, um, assessment piece on the program. Like if we're doing a program around retention, and our attrition numbers aren't dropping, then like that's good feedback that the program wasn't designed correctly. Something's getting lost in the details. We're not following up correctly. Like, so it, this goes back to where we're in an emergent space where th- there there are some best practices, but like what, what Microsoft does or a Google does isn't gonna work for most companies. So it's about again, going back and kind of having that kind of experimental mindset to be like, I think this is the problem I'm trying to solve for. This is what I'm gonna do as an intervention. This is my hypothesis. And like, did it work? And if it didn't, then we need to not continue doing that. And if it did, we need to kind of ramp it up or do more. Like, yeah, that's what I actually, like, it's kind of a problem, but that's the part that I find really, really interesting.
1: Well, and I think it's also the point you just said is so important don't be afraid to fail. Like you're going to try things and some of them will work and some of them will not work at all. And you'll be like, what was I thinking after the fact? (laughs) Because I think that's the point. Like I talk about pilots a lot and Hey, let's try this because I think there is this belief also in the, in our space of diversity, equity, inclusion of it has to be right the first time. And it, and we have to be perfect. And you're like, it's not possible. You can't. So um, you know, I think that's one of the pieces just to to talk to folks about too. So, um, Jackie, what other data questions you have? This is this is your
0: time. Well, it made friends. me it made me think. It makes sense. I, you know, it makes sense that you would go from librarian and doing the stuff and working with the data because one of my favorite quotes, and I don't know if it's an actual quote, but somebody said this to me. They said, "There's no bad data. There's just bad questions," mm-hmm. and you find that with the diversity and inclusion space. Um, Most recently, when people were looking, there was an organization that said, we don't know where we are today with our diversity and inclusion. And so I was like, okay, (laughs) Um, someone does. So they were like, well, we're going to ask all of these very questions. And it was anonymous. And the first question was about race and gender. I was like, that's not anonymous. Like you have to explain to people that's not anonymous. And what are you trying to do? And that's separate from inclusion. And why are you asking And what's the right question? And I, the example that I gave was if someone asks me if I have children, I will say yes if I don't know the context of the question. If somebody is asking me if I have children, because they think that they should, we should hire a clown for our company picnic. Then the answer is no, because I have two adults. I don't have two children. And so you have to be- And clowns are creepy. Clowns are scary. Worst party ever. Don't 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 do it.
1: And also stop making HR plan the party. Thank you. (laughs) That's my Ted talk. That's (laughs) my Ted talk.
0: Um, Thanks, like, and subscribe and hit the bell. but I think it's so important that you have to you have to, what people are so uncomfortable that I think a majority of all of us can say it's getting to the question, the right question so that we can look at the return on investment. And the more people hem and haw around it, they never get the success because they never said it. They never say it and it is like pulling teeth for somebody. and once you get them to finally tell you, you're excited and they're exhausted. It's like it's a it makes sense I'm glad that you went through that coaching experience and I'm sure you offer coaching like tips that can help them because so many organizations especially when they're at the point where we need something we think it's training they didn't ask the right question they didn't evaluate all those things but you're able to help coach them through that um, but I was wanted to get back to the data to ask what is has there been any data that you found surprising as you started looking at multiple, organizations as opposed to just a single corporate entity um that's why what
2: i'm uh, a pattern that i'm seeing is when people talk about diversity they i mentioned it before go right to hiring and aren't looking at who's leaving and why or who's getting developed and i i think we're going we're in a recession we're going to be in a recession for a while so some companies aren't going to be hiring a lot. And that's, I've heard from a couple of leaders, like, it's like, well, we we don't have the opportunity to like shift the needle. And it's like, yeah, you actually do. Like, you've got some good people, like invest in them, do stay interviews, ask like what's going on for them, where they want to grow. And maybe there's not an opportunity to grow vertically, but they can grow horizontally and learn skills that are adjacent to what they're doing or do something else where they get to still grow and continue to be invested in like and they continue to actively show up and yeah so they don't leave but also that they 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 don't stay and mentally have checked out Mm -hmm. um when we started looking at the data at mozilla like i say you know oh look at the data like it sounds like it's easy it wasn't it was it was really messy like it took about three months of partnership with the, the operations team to, to understand the HR data, to get it clean, to align with legal about what we could look at, how, who could see it. Like once you start cutting demographic or once you start cutting HR data by demographics, it's really sensitive. And it's super important because you're gonna be able to see objectively where you've got some gaps or issues. And that also introduces risk. So having all of those conversations takes time ensuring that the data is right and like all the head count like lines up correctly. And when you cut it and put it back together, it's still the right number. Like it's, it's gonna require a partnership and it's gonna require time. Um, but then you, you're confident that the data is right. And then you can start to use it like as a measuring stick to be like, how are we really doing? How much do you understand the future of finance? Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcast, and now available
0: on YouTube.
1: I love that. I think, you know, I love that you just went to kind of that confidentiality piece because I think this is one that gets missed sometimes and especially at the candidate, you know, at that candidate step is people want the demographic data so they can say, how's our sourcing, all those other things. And there's other ways to collect it, as we know, you know, you can say, you know, what's the source code? OK, well, we know that because they came from uh lesbian to tech that more than likely they identify as a lesbian or whatever. And so I think there's other ways that you can start to collect the data without having it be. Let me know all the data about this human. And then also looking at aggregate, looking at you know, some of these other ways to think about the data. But I also would say for anyone that is in charge of an HRIS system or has access to an HRIS system, uh, putting those checks and balances into place from an audit perspective, from a, you know who can see what, because that can also, as, you know, as we know, lead to discrimination claims, lead to all kinds of yuckiness. Um, and, and so I think that's something that, that sometimes gets missed when we're talking about this stuff, because people are like, no, we just want to do the right thing. We're doing good stuff. And you're like... Yes. And we have to protect folks. We have to keep people safe all the time and always be careful about, you know, how we're cutting this into your point, who can see what, who has access to what, because I think that can get super scary as well. Um, if it's not handled appropriately, um, I think
2: good tools like culture amp, you can't mm-hmm. cut smaller than a certain sample size. And I think with them, it's five, mm-hmm. like no one in the company can, they've designed the tool with those values in mind. And there, I feel like the DEI tech space is like the wild west right now. There's a lot of money in the space and people are inventing all sorts of things and demographic data. I think the best practice is when people voluntarily self-disclose that, like, you can look at me and make assumptions about what you think my gender is or what you think my race and ethnicity is, but only I'm the one who, who really knows that. So having the option to, for candidates to to share that and always having declined to state as as an option, I think is the best practice. It makes me really uneasy when there's um, data tools and sort of DEI tools where they're making um, assumptions about people's data using AI and whatnot. Like, it's just more complicated than that. And it's not respectful. Mm-mm. Agreed.
0: I think I, when I look at it, that's my that's my space that's my space that I always say we're looking to be these tools for different pieces that it depends on where you are in the funnel and what you're looking at. So like if you're looking at existing corporate entities and what your what your staff looks like versus what's available on the in the space, right? Who called themselves a software engineer? Uh, off engineer and what does that look like versus who lives in my town, who lives in their community of that public sourcing data. And so it's interesting because there's so many people that try to pass over and not have the information. Like they don't wanna look at the information for what it is, like their existing population or what we do have for what right? people do self-disclose in one way or another. Um, and, but you have to be, sensitive to the fact that you can't guess certain things. Um, There's certain things that you have to look at and be able to say, and then have the understanding. It was so funny, like, at Seek Out, when we had the things and it was like inferred, and it was like, and I was like, you can't say that. I was, we were talking about LGBTQ allies, and I said, we can put these people in LGBTQ allies, allies based on this data, but you can't say this and they were like well i don't know if you want to do that and i was like then none of the software works right so they immediately went into the software tool and told everybody it's like okay we're guessing like like just in case you know don't use this information for this this and this and i always say today i was like plus or minus seven percent they were like what does that mean i was like Because I I can't tell you, you have to do the information. So as we talked about it, it was like, gave the information of what would be best practices in a perfect world and what it would look like, including taking out certain information, whatever. And they're like, let's operationalize it. Let's do it. For people who really want to make that move. um, But you have to be able to be transparent and you also have to be able to be brave. I think for me, the first thing that I noticed, what I realized is that, when we have, when we allude to people's different groups of where people fit in different groups, um, and if that's all we do, and we don't share any additional information that we can get that people disclose, that's as far as the organization will go. So that's what I was like, hey, people put pronouns, like we put pronouns in our LinkedIn thing. So it doesn't need to be female. It needs to be she, her, as people identify, as she her those are the only people that put we know that they're she her because they put it in their profile um and so we can get closer to that information but don't guess just use the information that's available and then on the other ones you just have to put i don't i don't know right use the because people share people overshare a lot of information and put those things together but you have to be What's scary is when if you make that mistake that you can hurt people and nobody wants to do that.
2: And I think like I've had some awkward conversations with some recruiters over the years where people have a really good intent and they're like, I'm really trying to to make sure I'm sourcing a really diverse slate for this. And it's like, yes. And like this person hasn't told you their background and it's not respectful <laughs> like it's, guess. and it's no, not ethical you for you to person. guess.
0: Yeah. At some, you don't have to guess on any of this stuff. And that's what's so offensive on top of it. Like when you were talking about what Mozilla did when you had somebody transitioning at work, I've talked to so many people that are like, uh, I think we're going to do, it's like, just stop, ask the person. If you're too afraid to ask the person, you're not ready,
2: 100%. right? But it's interesting, like, I think Canada is about 10 years behind the US around data. Like, EEO means that everyone in the US is collecting race and ethnicity data. And in Canada, like, me, not so much. Like, the benchmarks aren't as good. And we have a different history and a different colonial history than the US. But, like, the government term is visible minority. And it's like, what is that? Like, is there an invisible minority? Like what happens when people of color are actually like the population majority like there's all sorts of things that are kind of messed up but yeah i think it's a work in progress in any anywhere and like these are useful data points to help us move towards a more equitable and a more just workplace and a more equitable and just society and it's going to be a work in progress for a long time and we just have to
0: keep moving <laughs>
1: bit bit
0: Inches. It's a game of inches.
1: It's, it is. And I think it's also even just, you know, speaking about data collection, I think there's also one more layer from the U.S. perspective. You know, yes, we do the EEO reporting, but there's also, and I don't, I'm, you may or may not be familiar with this. I am because I am one of those HR people that had to do this over the years. Um, if you didn't know the race of the person, yes. if they had not self-identified, you had to do a visual inspection to say, What do I think this person is? And, you know, I think we have such a beautiful blend of race and ethnicity in in our country that you were making some very stupid assumptions. And and I'm saying you, I was making some very stupid assumptions at times to do this reporting. And, And so I think that's just another layer to it, that there's so much that can, like you said, that can go wrong and it harms people. And you know, when you're putting in an HRIS system, you know, one of you mentioned clean data. I think that's the biggest piece going into organizations is let's just look at how how bad is the data? Because you have that single source of truth, which is your HRIS or should be your HRIS, but then there's also the how much bad information is put in there. Cause someone did data entry at some point in time to add humans and add, you know, different things about their, you know, their identity and and who they are and where they live and all this good stuff. And so I think that's like the clean data piece. I cannot stress enough. Um, I have a a company that's just building their HRIS or or starting to implement an HRIS system. And, and that's my biggest thing. I'm like, do not make assumptions on the data keep it as clean as you possibly can. And, you know, check, double check, triple check everything you're putting in here. Cause once it starts to go left, it goes super far left and it's really hard to get it clean again. So you know,
0: I want to go back to something that Tara said, cause this, I always get triggered when I think about it. I looked at this study just this past week because somebody said, cause we were helping people find you know, underrepresented groups was concerned that that would be discriminatory towards white people because we all know that white people in America have had such a hard run since the sarcasm. So when we were looking at all of the, Katie's shaking her. So as we were looking at all of of the information, I sent them the study about AI that even though AI was still able to reduce bias, over humans, it was by like over 35%. Um, And it reminds me of understanding it takes, you have to clean the data, which includes knowing where the data came from, who created the data, who was behind the data, under, you have to go in knowing that it's biased and uh, analyzing it to see what kind of bias that is. Is it an inclusionary bias? Is it an exclusionary bias? And can you take those deficits and change it into a positive by a little minor tweakage? But do something and keep working on it till you get it right. Just keep working.
2: I mean, I watched Coded Bias, the documentary about, about joy. Mm-hmm. I always bought her last name Blumers, yes. um, and her amazing work looking at um, bias and algorithms. And in that documentary, which is on Netflix, they had the case study of the Amazon hiring AI, which used the current, I think it was the current staff employee yep. mm-hmm. set as the training data. And because women were so underrepresented in technical roles this is what the, the AI learned on. And then it weeded all the women out in, in the hiring
0: process. And so, it any of us, we could have told them that was going to happen.
1: <laughs> right. And, well, but that, that is, it is the good data in, good data out. It is the, when you're, when you are using these tools, are you setting them up and, and asking questions like, well, should, is this the group we should be thinking about? Or wow, we all have all white males in our organization. So maybe we should. Eliminate some of the things that they're looking at, and you know how they're putting together the uh, like analysis of the data. But yeah, I, Joy's amazing. I've, I've, she actually spoke at GoDaddy because um, she and Blake um, work together very closely, and so yeah, she's awesome. I love her. Um, okay, Tara, what is one thing that you would like folks to remember, take away, start doing, stop doing? Um, what is one lesson from this, this episode that you would like to make sure folks really get?
2: <laughs> I think the the, the main takeaway that I'd like people to remember is that, um, for diversity, equity, and inclusion, we need to think about the systems. Um, of course there's interpersonal like stuff going on as well, but when we're designing programs, we need to Understand the system. So the systems of oppression in society, the systems that have historically um, mean, mean historically that or the histories that mean that people are historically underrepresented now. And using data can be really powerful to get an objective sense of where things are at right now. And as that that will give you a, a really good understanding of where to start your efforts and where to make the biggest impact. And then as you're trying to make your workplace more inclusive and more equitable, um, analyzing the, the different interventions you're doing and being really honest and truthful about is what I'm doing driving measurable change. So data in to understand the problem. And as you're Hi, you've got these hypotheses on what will make things better being really honest with the analysis and being like did it move the needle
1: awesome love that
0: this was so fun
1: <laughs> Jackie what's your lesson
0: um going back to just don't guess I have two lessons don't guess it's Tara not Tara those are the two lessons okay don't guess. okay Katie don't. what about you <laughs>
1: So for me, it's one that we didn't go too deep on, but I, I love that you said it and, and talked about it, was the fact that um, DeI needs to extend to product and services that you're doing in your organization. So having folks around the table that can build the product for all of your customers or clients or your target audience, Um, Because, you know, I think that's something that so many folks overlook. It's not just, hey, we're doing this because it's the right thing to do. It's also if you want to drive innovation, if you want to drive the best products for your company, if you want to make more money, because that, you know, sometimes is an influence (laughs) for some folks. Um, Hey, maybe have folks building the tools, building the products, building the widget who are going to be using it and making sure you have representation. Um, Tara, thank you. This has been so much fun. <laughs> We're definitely gonna have you on again because I love this conversation. I know, she's the best ever. We've been talking. <laughs> Thank yes.
2: you. I just realized Jackie, your t-shirt is your Tuesday t-shirt.
1: It's Tuesday. It's Tuesday. In just in yeah. case you didn't know. Um, speaking of which, I am pretty proud of this t-shirt that I just got, the drink water love hard and fight racism t-shirt that I just got. Um, mahogany mamas. Thank you so much for sending that over. Um, we are going to put some links into the show notes so you can learn a little bit more about Tara. And if you have any questions, um, please feel free to hit us up, please like us and subscribe on whatever podcast format you listen to. Uh, we're on YouTube. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all of the others, Stitcher, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so uh would love for you to listen and subscribe. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Katie Van Horn.
0: And this is Jackie Clayton.
1: Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>